The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. You might be listening live on 1150 AM KKNW in the Seattle area on TransformationTalkRadio.com around the world, uh, perhaps on Facebook Live on my professional page or on Transformation Talk Radio's page, or perhaps on one of the dozens of podcasts this ends up on or on the YouTube channel. My YouTube channel now, is, we're starting to post things there. Whenever and wherever you're listening from, you're going to be grateful you joined us here today because we're going to be talking to somebody who has been to H-E-double hockey stick, I think think I can say the word. I I think I can say the word. Benny, can I say the word here? Uh, Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, okay. Okay, because I I know where, you know. I like your other version better. We just need to work on the uh, execution. So it's H-E- Double L hockey Double stick. Double hockey stick. There you go. My, my kids when they were younger used to say. But anyway, I thought it was great. It, it's really no joking matter because she has been to the mother's mm-hmm. hell and has found her way out. But before I get into that, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, I want to say hello to the people who are behind the technology today at TTR, whoever's there. Who's there right now? Uh, this is Edmund. Um, just okay. uh, for a okay, second. Okay, hi, Edmund. Here. Yeah. Okay. And Benny, thank you for doing what you're doing in the studios. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Christine. And I want to thank Kyle behind the scenes. Okay. But I also want to mention that um, I am now teaching several things at the Academy of Divine Knowledge. You can find the link on my website, the homepage of my website. And by the way, folks, if you decide to register for not just, it's, it's not just my my presentations and my interviews up there it's a whole lot of other amazing people uh, talking about spirituality meditation um, some of the medical truths that are getting censored it's a totally uncensored forum and it's it's wonderful it's called the academy of divine knowledge if you enter my last name up church you can get a 10 percent discount on um it's a it's a monthly fee kind of thing or you can do six months or whatever but you can get a discount now so just wanted to mention that now to our guest today i'm so grateful she's here today and her name is julie clough um she has gone to places that we as mothers we as parents never hope to have to go and I tell you from early in in her book the tears are streaming down my face because It is every parent's worst nightmare. And she lost two children. I'm going to let her tell the story about that. But interestingly enough, she has developed spiritual connection, guidance, resiliency, and has gone on to help others. So Julie Clough is an inspirational speaker, an author, an international grief coach. And she's a host of a podcast. Um, called Build a Life After Loss. She's the founder of Build a Life After Loss, which is a company dedicated to helping others through grief and rebuilding. Such important work. Um, Anyway, she has a book out, and it's called Miracles in the Darkness, Building a Life After Loss. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Julie Clough. Julie, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me, Christine. It's a pleasure. You know, Julie, I I know it has been a while since this happened, Um, so I'm going to ask you to talk about it because I think it's it's important if you are comfortable talking about it outside of your book. I think it's really important for people to hear because strangely, I, I think we go about our lives thinking this can't touch me, this can't touch me. And yet I personally know I've got two friends who have lost children. One of them lost two children in one year. The more we sort of come out of the closet about it, the, the more we hear 
that there are many who not only experience, you know, the loss of a child or the loss, a significant loss in their life, who are struggling to find resiliency, struggling to find meaning out of it. And you've experienced that and you've, you've, you've gone on to help others. Can you share a little bit about what happened and that, that hell that you found yourself in and, and, and uh, needed to find your way out of? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to share because like you said, you know, we have this perception that this doesn't happen, you know, that, that, um, and that we even say parents should never lose children. You know, we even say that. So we like, we, we have this concept that this doesn't happen or it shouldn't happen. And that just creates more pain. Um, but yeah, so Mother's Day 2007, I was traveling across country. We lived in Houston, Texas at the time. I was traveling to North Carolina with my three youngest children to visit my in-laws. And we were, we were excited about the trip. And I had my, my three youngest children, um, my 12-year-old son, my 10-year-old daughter, Carrie, and my eight-year-old son, David, with me. And as we traveled uh, east, we were on Highway 20, and as we got to the Mississippi-Alabama or, uh, border, it was mid-afternoon. I was still expecting to, to make it into North Carolina before sundown, and suddenly I, I, felt, I, I woke up. I woke up in the median of the highway, and I had never, throughout that whole entire trip, I never even felt sleepy. That was the most, the most bizarre part about the whole thing was that it wasn't like I was fighting off being sleepy and trying to continue. I just never even felt sleepy. And it's as if the whole car just went quiet and the kids had fallen asleep and I fell asleep behind the wheel and ended up in the median of the highway. When I tried to pull my SUV back up on the highway, I felt the wheels just lift off of the ground and we rolled and rolled. We rolled across both uh, eastbound lanes of highway we landed on the in the um on the side of the highway on the other side and uh, i lost my eyesight as we rolled uh hit my head it started to come back i could hear my son james who was 12 that was sitting in the seat next to me i could hear him crying i knew he was injured but i knew he was okay just from the sound of his cry. But as I called for carrying David, there was no answer. And as my eyesight came back and I saw all the destruction around me and I looked for Carrie and David in the back seat, and they weren't there. And that's when I started to notice people gathering in the grass, what felt like football fields away from me. I realized that Carrie and David had been thrown from the car as we rolled. And um, at that moment, I knew that our lives were changed forever. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. Um, but as the ambulances showed up, they took Carrie and David to one hospital. They took James and I to another hospital. James went into emergency surgery for his leg. And it wasn't long after that, that I got the news that, that Carrie and David had died. Um, oh. and, and that truly our lives changed forever that day. Um, I homeschooled my kids. So, you know, we, it was, it just changed everything. It changed everything like it would for anyone. Absolutely. And um, yeah, it was, it was a devastating, devastating experience. So it's, it's so intense that the thought of even losing a child, but you know, you lost two in one fell swoop. How, how did you cope in those first few days? You know, the first few days was just a lot of shock. I was physically injured. I wasn't severely physically injured, but I did spend a couple of days in the hospital, um, broke my wrist, uh, separated my shoulders in a lot of pain, like, you know, just ache, just muscle pain. So physical pain, of course, in addition to the emotional pain, emotional pain was far worse, as you can imagine. Um, but there was, just, it was just a lot of shock. You know, you're just kind of walking around in a nightmare, waiting for the nightmare to, 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 to wake up from the nightmare and you never do. And, um, so those first few days were just you know, so much fell on my husband who immediately got a flight from Houston to where we were in uh, Mississippi. 
And um, so much of it fell on him. He had to go and identify their bodies. There's so much like I just, my heart aches for him that so much fell on him. And I was, and I was such a mess that he just, um, he really did have to handle everything from the police report to the insurance, to the, all those little things, you know, and then we started planning a funeral. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we spent almost a week in the hospital there. My son, like I said, had emergency surgery on his right leg and, uh, through miracles, he was released from the hospital. And that's why my book is called miracles in the darkness, because there were so many miracles in the experience. And as I look back on the whole thing, and, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but as I look back on the whole experience, I realized that I had everything that I needed to heal in that moment, but I just needed to get to the place where I could accept the healing. Mm. So what were those tools um, that would allow you to heal that you already had in your back pocket, so to speak? Yeah. Well, you know, some of the things that presented themselves immediately, one thing was that as I laid in the hospital and I remember talking to a friend that night who called, you know, obviously devastated like I was and, um, and I just, you know, and I said to her, I said, they're forever safe. Like, I just knew that my kids were forever safe, you know, that they were not going to have to go through the struggles that we experience in life, you know, good or bad, like they weren't going to have to experience that. Um, so I did have this sense immediately that they were, they were okay. It was us that was left behind that needed to figure it out. Another, another clue that came to me very early on was I realized how difficult it was for me as a friend to support others who were grieving, how difficult it was to say the right things, to do the right things. And I, I just immediately had this sense that no matter what anybody said or did, I was just, I was going to accept it as their gift of love. You know, that I, I wasn't going to be offended by the things people said or did or didn't do. Right. And, and that's huge because I think that um, we keep death in a closet, so to speak, here in our culture. And so when people are grieving in general, I think a lot of people have a hard time dealing with that. But when it's grief over death and grief, grief over the death of a child, I mean, that's it's, it's almost like, I don't know whether people feel it's contagious or they're just so inept because we have been keeping that, that death and that grief in the closet that they don't know what to say. Um, I know that when I had the early stages of lymphoma years and years ago, I had friends who just wouldn't say anything at all because they, they didn't know how to handle it. And so we're, we live in a society that isn't trained, isn't practiced at really supporting people and, and being present with what is, you know, which is like, for you, is incredibly devastating loss. I can only imagine. Um, so that's great that you were able to do that, to be able to, to, to feel the intent and to feel the love, even if they weren't doing or saying the right things. Yeah. And, and as I work with people, I find that there's a lot of pain. People carry a lot of pain around what people say and do they, and it makes sense because we're, we're injured. We're emotionally injured in that experience. And so through our emotional injury, if you think about, you know, something as simple as a sunburn, if you think about that, and you think about somebody coming up and, and touching you on your shoulder and, and how you, you know, you respond because it's, it's sensitive, you know, take that to times a thousand, and, and think about an emotional injury. And when somebody comes up against that, sometimes it's very easily to be offended and to be hurt. And so I saw it as this tremendous gift that I was given that I had that understanding in that moment. It was, it was you know, Julie, you've got enough to deal with. Don't deal with this too. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, so it was, it was a tremendous gift that I was given. And I'm grateful that I was able to hear that. So it sounds to me like, first of all, you had faith that your two beautiful children, I've seen pictures of them, um, were safe. 
that on a soul level, they were protected, they were fine. And I think that for many people, when something like this happens, it's a real test to their faith because we can think, oh, they're, they're, you know, our life continues on the other side and, you know, so-and-so is still there, you know, even if it's uh, a, a furry family member um, that, you know, somehow they're, they're okay. But when you really have to face the loss, it's, it's a true test to that faith. What was it about your faith that allowed you to really embrace it as opposed to feeling victimized and to, to doubt it? You know, that's a great question. It, one, one of the things I think I felt like early on that really helped me was the fact that I had gone through grief before. You know, I'd lost my brother to suicide uh, when I was in my, uh, oh, I think it was, I'm trying to think of the timing. It was about 15 years before that. Uh, I'd lost my brother to suicide. I'd gone through a divorce from my first husband. Uh, so I had I had experienced grief before. Obviously, this had very different feel to it. It was much greater. It was much more impactful. But but I I did have some some tools just from having those previous experiences. I, I really settled into being okay with grief. You know, I really settled into. Of course, I feel terrible. Of course, this doesn't feel good. And I didn't fight against it. But when I did start fighting against it a year and a half down the road where I was like, oh, I should be doing better. I, you know, where I got that idea, I don't know. You know, we, we have these crazy, crazy ideas and we attach to them and then that causes our suffering. And, and that really caused me a lot of suffering when I got, you know, a year and a half, two years down the road and thinking, or, or a little even longer than that, thinking I should be doing better. And, and then that thought, you know, I should be doing better than created so much more uh, suffering for me instead of just being with my experience and allowing myself to learn and grow through the experience, which is, uh, which is so important. You know, another thing that, that happened to me while we were rolling, uh, while we were rolling, I, I felt my arm go out the window I, you know, I'm in the driver's seat. So my left arm, I felt my arm go out the way and I heard a voice say, bring your arm in. And I brought my arm in tight. And I it was a couple months down the road. My uncle called me and he said, I was just watching a TV show. And this dancer had lost her arm in a roller of, over accident like yours. And, and I was thinking about how you could have lost your arm. Like I, you know, so many little miracles that happened that were clues to me that took me a while to, to grasp and put together, but were clues to me that things happened the way they were supposed to happen. Like that, that is going to sound so bizarre outside of, um, you know, if you think about in, in those early days, I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to that long enough to really feel the healing in my life. You know, it was just, it was, too painful. There was too much adjustment, but as I was able to make those adjustments and, and settle into those changes and, um, really settle into my faith and really understand my faith at a much greater level, then those pieces that were already there started to come into play where I was able to put it together. And I was able to, to, to realize that, I didn't need to have shame or fear or guilt about what happened. I could own what my experience was. I could own what I felt about it. I could own my thoughts about it. And it didn't matter what anybody else thought. And, and, that's, and that's where the feeling came. And that sounds incredibly powerful because you fell asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, first of all, somebody dies and, and we're there, or like we've talked to them on the phone, they commit suicide, whatever it is, it's like, we think we, we could have some, done something differently. And so I'm sure that you went through stages of feeling guilty about that. And yet to, to understand on a deep level that there was spiritual perfection in it, that there was divinity in it, 
I think is incredibly profound healing. Um, which brings me to the relationship you had with your husband, because so many couples, when they have a, a you know the death of a child, they don't stay together. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me, based on what I've read in your book and what you're saying, is you two have a deep connection and you were able to heal through that. How is that? And, and, and do you have any um, wisdom based on, on what you two went through? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because it was not pretty. It was, it was very painful, very ugly. I mean, it, he never blamed me and, and I give him so much credit. Never, ever, ever did I hear from him lips, his lips, you know, you shouldn't have, you should have stopped. You should have, you know, this or that or the other, like there was no, there was no outward blame there, but I, I blamed myself so much that, and I know he, you know, he, he felt the brunt of my blame of myself and my desire to just kind of, I, I just, I just couldn't get far enough away from myself. <laughs> you know, it's like this, it's this ache and this pain of, of guilt and shame. And, you know, it was a long time before I could even admit exactly how the accident happened or because of that guilt and that shame that I felt, you know, obviously like when something happens in our world, what we want to do is we want to find fault. Well, who there's nobody to point to, but me, nobody, you know, there there wasn't a a malfunction of the car. There wasn't a car that pulled in front of me that caused me. I mean, there was nothing. There was only me. And, um, and so in our finite understanding, it's very easy for us to put the blame on ourselves, but in our infinite understanding, when we get to that place where we can open up to a higher understanding, we can see. And so as I healed myself, you know, as he healed, as I healed our relationship healed. And so we have to have that space. We have to allow the space for our partner to show up however they need to show up in that space of healing. And I think that's one of the challenges is that we, we think, we think that when something like this happens, that it, it brings us together. And there's a, there's a, there's a piece of that, that happens. It certainly happened early on, but as we went into our own individual caves of healing, we, it it was very much a separation. It was very much a, we had to do, you know, we, you have to heal on your own level and your own time in your own space. And our journeys have looked vastly different from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet it's, we've been able to, to make it work. And I'm grateful for that. And I give him so much credit for that. One of the things you've said twice in, in one way or another, one in terms of um, grieving and the other in terms of your relationship with your husband is this, this principle of allowing what is mm-hmm. allowing the grief to flow through, even if it's a year and a half to three years in um, allowing your spouse to go through their process, even if it's different from you, even if you're feeling separate because, because of it. And um, so that allowing piece, I know that it's one of the things we as humans struggle with on so many levels in so many ways. What is it about your faith that allows you to allow Yeah, I think as I internalized this idea that they were truly okay and that there was divine intervention, you know, as I could see the miracles that happened, even as the car was rolling, I, this is part of my personality is I, I love to reflect, you know, like I really reflected on the things that happened even before the accident that prepared me for what was going to happen. You know, there were so many things that pointed to that. And, and I, for as long as I can remember, have really enjoyed reading near death experiences, understanding that place between life and death, 
as much as we can, you know, we can't really understand it until we're there, but as much as we can is just understanding that and, and seeing our life, just human life, death is part of human life. Like nobody escapes it. And it's, and it's our fear of, of what's on the other side that keeps us from allowing that. Yes. Husbands die, mothers die, fathers die, um, you know, partners die. It, 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 we all are going to die at some point. And we don't know what the timing is for that. And we can't say that a child shouldn't die. Like as much as we want to, as much as we want to hold on to them and say this, this shouldn't happen. It does happen. And so we need to, we are, we are tasked with being comfortable with the idea that death happens. And, and I think one of the things that creates suffering is this idea that we have to examine the person's life to see if they were worthy to die in it and be okay on the other side. And in fact, we don't need to do that. We, we can, we can, we have a, a we are supported by divine energy and no matter what a person's life look like in this life, they are still divinely supported on the other side. And I think that's a, a big piece. Like, you know, even my kids being eight and 10, I mean, I, I remember there being a time period where I was thinking, okay, are they going to be okay? You know, I, I think we have to go through those questions. Like those are questions that we have to ask, but we want to make sure that we come to a good answer. And, and, and when I say a good answer, we want to come to an answer that feels good for us, that feels right and comfortable. And I, I think that is when I realized that I didn't have to have all the answers, but I could believe in what I wanted to believe in. And that was totally my choice. And, and from my perspective, I always fall back onto being a parent. And I think, um, do we want to talk about it as God or universal love or what, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's like, I think of it as the perfect parent. Now our kids make mistakes, you know, they, that's a part of the learning. Do we love them any less because of it? No. Do we help them to learn from their mistakes so they can grow? Yes, we do. And so, and you think about it, even if a more perfect parent than the best parent on the planet. I mean, that's, that's from my mind, in my mind, the, the, the mother, father, God, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, so of course they're divinely supported. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that, uh, we get to, we get to believe what we want to believe. So why not believe the thing that, that comforts our soul? Why fight against it? why not embrace it and look for all the evidence that exists to, to help us to not only embrace it, but, you know, to embrace it at that, at that higher level, you know, asking for our higher power to give us that comfort that is there for us. You know, like I said, early on, everything was already there for my healing. I just needed to, I just needed to be in a position where I was willing to accept it. It was a yes. gift that was given to me from the beginning. We're going to go to a quick break, but when we return, I'm going to want you to share at least one of the signs that you had beforehand that you didn't realize was a sign until after when you reflected back, because it's really fascinating. Uh, stay tuned here for more with Julie Clough here on the Christine Uptrick Show. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelm and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First, exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice, full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. 
This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW, Transformation Talk Radio, uh, Facebook Live, and of course my YouTube channel. Today we are talking to the author of Miracles in the Darkness, Julie Clough. Um, and her, the, the, the business that she shares, as well as her podcast is called, what the subtitle of the book is called, Building a Life After Loss. Um, Julie, I was fascinated by your reflective nature as you processed your grief and tried to put this all, all the pieces together. Because, of course, our human minds want to fit all these pieces together because it, it doesn't make sense on some level. You love somebody deeply. It's particularly a child, it doesn't make sense on the human level. And yet um, you were able to sort of take that higher level perspective and say, okay, were there, were there signs? Was God, the universe, you know, offering me um, some little crumbs of, you know, to follow this trail to understand its perfection? What was one of those signs that you saw along the way before this, the accident happened? Well, I'm going to take you back five years, um, five years before this happened in April, five years earlier, uh, because the, uh, this accident happened on mother's day of all days. This act, you know, was mother's day of 2007, five years previous when Carrie and David were three and five, they, uh, they fell out our second story window. Uh, we had just moved into a, a new house just a couple months before, and it was springtime and um, springtime in Texas, and our dog was in the backyard, and they had opened the window. We didn't realize how low the, the window was, but they had opened the window. They were leaning on the screen to talk to the dog in the backyard and fell through the screen onto the pool deck, and miraculously we're okay. Carrie had minor fractures on both wrists. Um, I, I told David, he must've landed on Carrie. He kept telling me he didn't. I now today, I believe the angels caught him and, and set him down on the ground. There's just no doubt about it. Like he just was uninjured. And, and, and that was kind of a precursor. It was a, um, it was foreshadowing of what was to come, you know, that when the accident happened, I realized they'd been thrown from the car. I knew immediately that they either both survived or they both died together because they, they had this connection that was so unusual for a boy and a girl sibling that were two years apart, you know, that they just really had such a connection with each other. And I just knew that there was no way one of them was here without the other one. They were either both here or they're both gone. Um, so that was kind of the first little piece, but just a couple of months, uh, actually about a month before the accident, we, uh, there was a young woman, um, that, that we went to church with, who's 32 was expecting her third baby. And she, uh, had had cancer. And when she found out she was pregnant, she decided to continue with the pregnancy and, um, the baby was born and two weeks later she died. And I went to that funeral 
And they had actually asked me to play the organ because I play the organ. They asked me to play the organ for her funeral. And I, I was like, I just don't feel up to it. I, I don't know why. I just, I just didn't. I thought it was because it was close to the anniversary of my brother's death. But now I see that I was almost pre-mourning. I, you know, my soul knew what was going to happen. I didn't know it at the time, but my soul knew. And so there were things that happened. But when I walked into that viewing and I saw her husband, who I hardly knew, and I saw her husband standing there, I felt this overwhelming sense of God's love for him that is, was undescribable and had no explanation. But I just felt this. And, and after Carrie David died and, you know, as things progressed and I started to realize that that, that moment where I felt that love that God had for this husband was exactly what God wanted me to understand that he had for me in the circumstances that I found myself. Yes. And if you didn't have that reflective nature, didn't take that bird's eye spiritual view, you might not have never ever put those pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. I'd been on a trip a month before I was with some friends. We had traveled to a conference together. We were driving home and uh, one of my friends was talking about, you know, the power of the devil and, and all. And, and as she was talking about that, I was like, I just have this like urgency to share, you know, the power of God. <laughs> I just like this urgency, like God's power is so much greater. And, and that was that was very instructive for me to experience too, because I think that I could have somehow conjured up in my mind that, you know, it was the power of the devil that created this, you know, situation. And it was because I had done something wrong or all these other crazy thoughts that we get when we're, when we're in pain. So I was grateful for that experience as well. So, because your faith has been an integral part of getting through grief, not that we're ever done with grief, as I'm sure you know. Uh, well, and you know, actually, I feel like we can be done with grief. Really? I, I, don't, I don't experience grief. In the traditional sense that we think of grief, if we think of grief as that like overwhelming sadness, that overwhelming longing and um i don't experience that anymore like and, and it's such a beautiful thing because because i can remember my kids like and without the grief being attached to it so that the memories are clear and beautiful and not dimmed by pain of grief which is what it is early on right even even the good memories are dimmed by oh that'll never you know by our grief because we think that can never happen again. We're never going to experience that again. They're not going to be your hair. Everything has changed. And so if, when we, when we attach our grief to the person that we've lost, then of course, it's extremely painful to let go of the grief, because if we let go of the grief, we're letting go of the person. But if we can start to recognize that the grief is separate than the, from the person, and we can keep that bridge of love and gratitude that we've had for them, the whole, you know, through our whole uh, experience with them here and and we and we create a new relationship with them we create a new experience of love and gratitude then we can let go of the grief because we're not letting go of them you know there's this idea that if we let go of the grief that somehow we're forgetting them we can love and appreciate and have so much gratitude for them in their life i i look at it this way if, if God came to me and said, here's your choice, Julie, you can be the mother of Carrie and David in this life for eight and 10 years, or you can not have this experience. We'll give this experience to someone else. I would take those eight and 10 years all day long. And, and so I, I'm just, I just stay in this profound gratitude for the years that we had together and for our relationship that we still have. Does that mean you don't ever experience any sadness anymore? Occasional sadness, occasional mm -hmm. sadness, and usually right around the anniversary. 
And, and I know this is hard to, to believe, but it rarely lasts even a half a day. I, I just, it's, um, and I feel like this is my message to share is that we don't have to hang on to grief in order to prove our love. Our love is still there. And, and I think that so often when we lose somebody, particularly when it's what we consider to be before their time, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to lose a parent or grandparent when they're in their 90s or something, um, is that we, we focus on the death or the dying. Um, we focus on the loss as opposed to the love and the life. And so what you're doing through your teaching, through your podcast, through your coaching is telling people that it's important to focus on the, the, the love and the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a process. So, so it's, it, when I first start working with people, a lot of it is allowing the grief, like we've got to allow the pain. So we have to allow that first. And, and then as we can, we can reconcile that pain, then our, our memory isn't just to that accident or to that experience or to the illness or to whatever took them, whatever took them is whatever took them. It really, it, it, you know, the way I look at it, it's just a vehicle to get from there to here, you know, from here to there. It, it's, um, in many ways, it's not really relevant how they died. And, and I know that's, that sounds crazy. And if you're in the middle of grief, you know, please understand that my, my compassion is great for you in your experience. And, and yes, you, you, you will experience all the questions and all the, the things that we're talking about here. And those are important. It's important to resolve, not just look past the grief. You know, a lot of times people will talk about like, just go into gratitude, you know, like, the, like it's a stick that we can put down. Let's put down the stick of grief and pick up the stick of, of gratitude. It's not the way it works, but as we, as we start answering those questions, as we start to, um, to process what we've experienced, we can let go of the emotional pain to the point that it's no longer taking so much space. You know, and, and our relationship is so much greater than that moment when they died. And if we're not careful, that moment when they died becomes huge compared to anything else. So let me ask you this, Julie, do you feel like on some level, your relationship with Carrie and David ha has continued? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm still figuring that out. I feel like that's still a, a process, you know, how I know that they're involved in the work that I'm doing. There's no doubt in my mind that they're here right now. Yeah. You know, they're here with their mom sharing their story through me. Mm. and um and there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case my brother as well you know who who died when he was 23 i know that he's a part of what i'm doing i think we're so much more connected than we than we know than we realize and it's it's the pain that we experience that keeps us disconnected and so it's, it's so important for us to figure out the pain. How do we move through the pain? The pain is normal. There's nothing wrong with grieving. It's absolutely part of the process, but grief is supposed to be a vehicle to healing, not to more grief. Mm. Oh, that's very powerful. That's very powerful. And and yet there's the, it's, it's kind of like a, a paradox because we have to move through it without this carrot of saying, oh, I'm not going to feel it anymore if I get through it, because it, it, it can't be conditional. Like, oh, I'll experience it right now because I'm going to be feeling differently a year from now or whatever it is. Um, it's kind of like you have to, you have to surrender to it in order to move through it. And that cannot include this conditionality of getting through it. Yeah. And, and, and that's what makes the message so tricky 
it makes it so tricky as to, you know, I can, I can only share what my current experience is. And yet at the same time, I, I always worry about that creating more pain for somebody that's in the middle of grief. It's like, oh, you know, cause I experienced that. I experienced this. I should be over it by now. This should be like, I should be past this. Why is this taking so long? All the, those things that we, you know, add to our suffering, um, we certainly don't want to, we, we, we can create so much more pain for ourselves in our suffering if we don't just allow that grief is grief and that there are things that we are, are meant to learn in the process. And that as we allow, as we allow ourselves to go through the grief, we're going to learn the things that are important for us to learn in order to, to get on. I mean, honestly, now I look at it and I go, I, I just think, I am a better human being today than I was 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Um, not because I wasn't always like, I think we are all whole. I mean, that's what I believe. I believe we are all whole and we always have been. It's just, we lose parts of ourselves in our desire to show up a certain way, to be a certain way, to, to, please the people around us to please society you know we kind of we lose ourselves in that process this experience crushed all of that uh, illusion around me it just crushed it to the point that you know i i had a choice i could recreate that illusion which is kind of the path i was on when i was like oh, i should be better what's wrong with me blah 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 right i was kind of creating that new illusion like this is how i need to show up this is what i need and and it's it's really kind of dropping all that and going who who am i and who am i meant to be and what is my purpose here and how do i show up in joy and how do i experience joy and we, we all are all, that's an important question for all of us to answer. So I know that with the, the bigger losses, grief can feel overwhelming at times. Absolutely. What's your advice for those moments of feeling like it's going to totally engulf you? You know, it's, it's tricky because it really does feel that way. And it can, and it can feel that way for, you know, a long time and it can feel that way for extended periods. And it can, and it's, I, when I, when I look back on those moments of just that crushing pain and grief that I felt that just destructive, like, I can't get through this. Um, the only thing we can do is really be present. That's the only thing we can do is be present with what we're experiencing. It's our only choice. It's our, it's, and, and as we're present with it, as we move through to allow ourselves to be compassionate with ourselves. And that's what I did so well at the beginning. Like at the beginning, I was, I just allowed everything. I just was like, you know, I can't do that. I'm not going to try. I can't do that. I'm not going to try. And, you know, like I just really, really just allowed everything, but there, there does come a point where we feel like, oh, I've got to re-enter life at, you know, at some level. And that's where it gets a little tricky because we're in that space between what was and what is. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it's why I do the work I do because I know how hard it is to move from that place. Cause grief, if you, if you think about, um, Dr. Hawkins scale of consciousness, you know, grief is at the very low end of vibration. And, and if we're going to move through that to joy, love, peace, that courage sits in the middle. And so we, we have to take steps of courage, but we also have to be so compassionate with ourselves. And I think just in general, we're not good at being compassionate with ourselves. We're so good at being compassionate with others. 
we're so good at it. But if we would just reflect on what that looks like when we give it to others and, and then bring that into ourselves, it makes such a huge difference. Before we go any further, I want to make sure we um, tell our listeners and viewers how they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So buildalifeafterloss.com is the best place to go to connect with me. Buildalifeafterloss.com. I know it's long. <laughs> um, but it's actually, easy to remember. There yeah. you go. Um, so yeah, if you go to buildalifeafterloss.com, I've got a mailing list there. I send out, you know, a couple of um, messages every week of, of encouragement and inspiration. I'll be doing a... Um, a webinar next week on the the hope model of healing and the five foundations of growth that we experience in order to move from you know to continue to move emotions are energy of in motion we we it's it's our nature to want to continue to learn and grow and move and uh, unfortunately, we're given a lot of messages in society that grief is just what it is, and this is as good as it gets. And and it's it, there's so much more available to us if we're if we allow the emotions to continue to move and and we continue to grow in the process. Mm, love that. Okay, so Julie, in two minutes or less, can you offer our listeners and viewers some advice on? supporting those who are experiencing significant grief. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is don't worry about saying the exact right thing. I think that really paralyzes us. Be there, just, just be there. If it's a, a close relationship, text, call, show up and just be there, just be a presence and don't, um, don't try to fix anything because you can't. And I think we, we get in there and we want to try to fix it. We want them to feel better. You're not going to help you. They're not going to feel better, but they're going to feel your support in their, in their grief. So I think that's the, the big piece right there is just to show up in whatever way that you can to just say, I'm here for you, whatever you need, you know, however I can support you just know that you're loved. And, and, and then, be okay with whatever comes out of their mouth, because in those experiences, it's like our brains are going crazy. So sometimes those crazy thoughts come out of our mouth and then that scares our friends and our family. And, and, you know, if you think it's a dangerous situation, obviously get the support you need to, to keep people safe. But in general, just know that they're just in a state of confusion and overwhelm and they just need to know that they're loved and that it's okay to be in pain. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I realized with experiencing grief in my life is that I don't think as clearly. And so things like driving things that I'm normally really good at, I'm just not as on top of. So I think that having a watchful eye to support people in whatever way, and in, in like some just mundane ways of maybe running errands or something seems like a a helpful thing to do. And it sounds like you had lots of, of members of your church supporting you through meals as well. Yeah. Members of our church, members of my tennis team, members of our neighborhood, they really coordinated and everybody came together and, and were very, very supportive to us. And I know that everybody doesn't always get that. And you're absolutely right. Like illness and accident are common when we're experiencing grief because so much of our brain power is consumed with the grief process and, and, you know, it, it's part of the process. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your tragic and yet beautiful healing story with us. And again, I recommend the book. It's called miracles in the darkness. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us here today. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.